So, Pete, I think you're really going to like working with Adam. The guy's a total pro, class act. All right, cool. Well, uh, why don't we get him on the line and get this thing going? Sure. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, okay. You're pretty quiet right now. I mean, like, I can see your mouth moving. Ugh. <sighs> Jesus, uh, I've, been, I've been having issues with my computer basically all week. It's just, it's been the strangest thing. But um, let me try to, I don't know, is it, hold on, let me check, let me check settings. Okay, I heard something. Okay, um, is, is it, is you? it, no, I'm just trying to figure out what in the world, it doesn't even seem like this audio is coming from the I am sexy. That was eerie, and I don't think that was you all either that time. Ah, jeez. Um, I'm running out of ideas here, guys. We might have to do this a different day. I mean, this computer has been having issues. Why are you sitting in the dark anyway? I mean. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I usually light. I usually have my desk lamp on for this type of stuff, but I just, I've been screwing around with all these settings so much that I, I haven't even messed with it. Here, let me. Okay, well, that was creepy. Can you hear us now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Seems to resolve itself pretty well, yeah. All right. Good, I think we got the gremlins out. Okay. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media... Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good? Or bad. Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now, welcome your hosts. Hey, everybody, I'm Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. And special guest. Hey, I'm Adam Bash. Thanks, Thanks disembodied, disembodied voice, voice guy. guy. Hey, disembodied voice guy. Uh, yes, Pete? Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you, too. Season's greetings. That's a pleasant surprise, you know. I figured you're going to say, like, Bah Humbug, something like that, something. Rude. Oh, a century and a half ago, I would have said bah humbug to you. I was saying bah humbug years before Ebenezer Scrooge made it cool. I, mean, I don't know if Ebenezer Scrooge made bah humbug cool per se, but I mean, I, I see what you're saying. And who do you think the Grinch stole all his great ideas from? He was my roommate. Just long enough for him to rip off my Christmas stealing scheme that I came up with. Okay, look, everybody, I'm sorry I got him going, okay? No, nowadays, I find it's better to just smile and say, Merry Christmas everywhere I go. Especially since every little evil thing you can do or say at Christmas time 
is so mainstream that they've been regulated to after Thanksgiving dinner family holiday specials. Ugh, I'm so depressed. Man, I'm, I'm actually feeling bad for you. I mean, is, is there anything I can do to help you cheer up? Nah, I'm just going to go watch Die Hard again and yell at Hans Gruber for botching up our plan. Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast. I'm Mike, that's Pete, and we have special guest Adam Bash with us. How you doing, Adam? I am wonderful. I'm living the dream, I'm ecstatic about life, and feeling pretty good about gremlins right now. That's good. Well, I hope to get there someday. Which thing, about the gremlins or the static about life? We'll go with everything for now. For those of you who are here for the first time, uh, we're going to be talking about the movie Gremlins. And how this works is we usually talk about some history, about the directors, the making of the movie, some interesting facts first, uh, any little bits of trivia and uh, interesting topics. And then after that, we break down the movie with huge spoilers. So if you're not at that point ready to... Uh, be spoiled, you know, we give you a warning, and then uh, we ultimately end up deciding whether this movie is sacred or not. Because you trust our opinion. Because we're from the internet. That's right. So Adam is joining us, uh, Adam's podcast, Repertoire, what's not a good word? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a bad word, I mean, it's... Podcastography? It's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's got two podcasts that are going right now, Sayer and yeah. Fistful of Pixels. Right. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about those? No, nah, not really. Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Okay, so I do other podcasts. They're fun. One's a narrative, Sayer's a narrative fiction sci-fi podcast thing about robots in space. Uh, and Fistful of Pixels is a podcast with uh, I do with a few friends that uh, we take uh, suggested titles that people suggest to us on Twitter, and we... Uh, kind of try to brainstorm up what type of video game that would be. So they give us video, fake video game titles, and we turn it into uh, pretend video games. And it is hilarious. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's the best idea for a podcast that ever existed, and I'm pretty pissed off that I didn't come up with it. But at least you're on it, Aww. so you've got that. Yeah, it you took a long time. In the door. Took a long time. Soon you'll be famous. Famous enough, you can tell people it was your idea, right? I guess I gotta kill Mike Bachman first, but I mean I've been playing that for weeks. So. At least you got your plan. So, <laughs> so are we ready to talk about the Gremlins? As ready as we'll ever be, right? Yeah. All right, let's get to it. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Gremlins, and I know I haven't done as much research as I normally like to do but i know adam and pete have quite a bit on this subject well, so you, which one of you wants to start well you know i think adam uh, you mentioned you have a lot of uh, history for this movie maybe i'll just try and fill in the cracks a little bit uh okay so i mean i didn't i didn't write any notes on the history but i did do a little research on it ahead of time like so it's it's we interesting at a holiday in express last night so yeah exactly i play uh i play a, i play an expert on on the uh, internet but uh, so okay, so the the story for Gremlins was written by Chris Columbus, and if you recognize the name and don't think of the holiday that we celebrate for the uh, terrible, terrible person that was the Italian explorer, uh, you, you recognize him probably from like Home Alone, right? And um, and, and rightfully so. But he he came Harry up Potter. with yeah, what's that? that's what I was Harry thinking. Potter. The yeah, early yeah, yeah, Harry yeah. Potter I did. I, I'm not I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan, so I'm not really there with you. 
So he came up with this idea because, like, he lived in a rat-infested apartment, okay? And so, like, all day long, it was fine. It was a nice place to live. It was totally cool, right? And then at night, when he was in bed asleep, all he could hear were these rats, like, crawling around and scurrying around and all this stuff, like, like just running around his apartment at night. And he just, like, that's what gave him the idea of these creatures that, like, uh, could only move around at night, and they were, like, these little... Uh, demonic mischievous creatures right and so he kind of mm-hmm. built it all around that so um, he tried to cheer himself up about his pest infestation by imagining that it was a uh, race of monsters living in his house i mean That's who pretty- hasn't done that at some point in their lives i mean it's sound logic yeah i mean spielberg loved it enough that he bought the the script from him and decided to make it and it's such a weird time in film that you know, if you think about 1984, this came out in 1984, I think, right? Yes, 84. 84. Okay. I do know that. So, so 1984. Damn, like, we should have had you lead with that. Spielberg, <laughs> Spielberg is uh, is executive producing this movie that was intended to be, uh, for all intents and purposes, a Christmas movie. And, and then the studio moves it up to, to put it against all of the other studios' big summer flicks, such things as, as Ghostbusters and Spielberg's own uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom are coming out that summer. That's right. right. Mm. So Ghostbusters move, is the same weekend, in fact. Yeah, and so they move Gremlins up to battle with that stuff. So you have a Christmas movie. What I mean, <laughs> it's obviously a Christmas movie, right? There's like, well, yeah. it, It's all about a Christmas gift, and, and, and there's... Yeah, snow everywhere and and lights everywhere and Santa's mm-hmm. walking around the streets and but it, it's going out in the middle of summer because just the the way that the the studio like pushed it up to compete with these other these who other doesn't movies. like being reminded about a high stress holiday coming up in the middle of July right <laughs> <laughs> well and, it, and it's funny because the the director of the movie was Joe Dante and he has done a lot of other stuff since then but kind of at that point this was. This was his big first shot. I mean, he did jump in on Twilight Zone, the movie. If you've ever seen Twilight Zone, the movie, or know anything about Twilight Zone, the movie, it was like, I think it was four or five little different stories kind of all rolled into one movie. Spielberg did one of those, and uh, he invited Joe Dante in to, to do another one of those. And so that's kind of his first, like, jump in. And I guess Spielberg liked what he did and uh, brought him in on this. Yeah, I was surprised to see that uh, Dante was also the director behind Inner Space and The Burbs and Small Soldiers. Oh, yeah, but it all kind of works together because if you think about Gremlins as a movie and that just like very Looney Tunes-esque cartoony vibe that you get out of that. And then you look at the list of his other movies and they all have that same like otherworldly cartoony feel to them, you know? And this was kind of where it all starts. Who can forget all of the uh, physical comedy of Inner Space? (laughs) <laughs> oh, that movie that one still shows up in our our lineup every once in a while i'm sure say. i'm sure um interesting point of fact about this movie is that um i noticed while watching it it feels like it's not really sure what kind of an audience it's catering to this mm. was at a time when pg and r was the gap was the rating gap and so this one clearly marketed towards children but with a lot of more uh violent and perhaps mature themes than others uh it was actually this movie and also spielberg's uh indiana jones and the temple of doom that caused uh you know a bit of an uproar about this isn't appropriate for children so spielberg's like so create a new rating pg-13 it's not gonna break my heart and that's exactly what they did uh i think uh, months later yeah i mean this was a time when like r-rated films that was 
like if you had an R-rated film, it was basically like a it, it was it was a death sentence for your movie. Right. And so it was getting it into how much can we do and still get it a PG rating. Right. I mean, this this movie would have completely missed its R, its target audience if it had gotten an R rating. So yeah, and it was it's so weird because it's like I saw this movie when I was five years old, and I have a five year old, and just the the idea of him sitting down and watching this movie would. It, like I would be all we would talk about for 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 the next two mm-hmm. years, and then we would go to counseling <laughs> sessions afterwards. I'm sure of it. Like maybe we were more resilient in the '80s, but it just feels weird to me that this was even it was even pushed as a as a kids movie. But you know that's that's classic Spielberg. It's like Spielberg made his like in the '80s. He kind of made his life on making movies that were that were family films that were like really not really pushing the boundaries of it like yeah like in, in temple of doom like it was also like i mean that's that's something the family goes to and goes watches to you know go out and watch together and in that movie there's a guy ripping another man's heart out like yeah right well yeah even if they weren't heavy violence us all of steelberg's movies related you know heavy themes and things like that right, you know, with, right. like et and then you know guys walking around with guns waiting to you know shoot the alien yeah, the theme, the the feel of that movie was not light and cheerful at all. No. Thank you, Spielberg, for bringing the PG thirteen rating about with this movie. And and R is still sort of considered a death sentence in some cases, depending on well, yeah, that's what why ta- they, your target is. Right. People still try to dumb it down for the uh, PG thirteen crowd in order to get more butts in seats, as it were. But I mean, at least now there's a rating out there to make the preteens feel good about themselves, and it's like I got into a PG thirteen movie, my mom doesn't know I'm here. You'd be saying it in a much higher pitched voice than that, but yeah. Ask me, ask me the junior men's please. Well, uh, I don't have a lot with the history, but there, there's one particular item that was interesting, and anybody who's a '90s child knows of a toy called Furby. Now, Furby is sort of a, a ro- the first attempt at like a robotic buddy pet thing, and it basically it was like a little thing that looked sort of like an owl-ish. Um, thing or like Gizmo, the main yeah, like character. don't joke around. It looked yeah. exactly yeah, like Gizmo. On. Yeah, the, the ears main... were at a different angle and it had a beak. That's the difference, right? Yeah. So and it, it was a major national security issue for a while there. Remember that? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I remember that. You cannot bring a Furby into a government installation <laughs> because it learns <laughs> well, everything. Oh damn, I was planning on doing that, so I guess I won't now. <laughs> well, anyway, so. So they look like Gizmo, and so there, there was, um, there's a lawsuit about uh, these Furbies looking like Gizmo. They sound like Gizmo. They have little voices. They would say things that uh, were in high pitched tones like Gizmo, but it was more gibberish. And so they were made to like react to what you actually say. Joe Dante uh, and the and the crew who made Gizmo, Warner Brothers, basically came knocking at the door of Furby and said, "Hey." you know this thing looks a lot like Gizmo? And and basically they're like, oh, uh, no, it doesn't at all. Yeah, I was well, going to say, wasn't Furby's defense? No, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah. And uh, eventually, uh, basically, there there was some legal trouble, and we end up with a Furby that is actually made to look like Gizmo at the end of the day as part of the legal settlement to not sue that company into existence, which is... Uh, it's it's Hasbro now. That's capitalism, baby. Yeah. So, if you look it up, the Gizmo Furby is the rarest of all the Furbies. There were only a quarter of a million of them made, um, compared to several million of the other particular models. But um, if you happen to have one, uh, hold on to it 
for a long time and you know leave the batteries out so it doesn't like you know degrade no no if you happen to have one that means you know your mom punched another mom in the face in order to get it at christmas <laughs> you know that's what happened you know you joke enough about furbies with this but like I can't help but feel when I was watching the movie, like, like the fact that Furby exists kind of tainted the whole experience for me. Like, and I guess we'll get to it more later, but it's like when you watch it, like the practical effects are, are amazing and all that great stuff. But like Gizmo felt like I was watching a guy play with a Furby because it, it's just it was so close. It was so <laughs> similar. And like as it's as Gizmo's like sitting there and like moving his ears around and cooing and blinking and i'm like it, it, it is a fucking furby sitting on his desk right oh, oh yeah the experience was totally different i mean i used to get my furby wet all the time nothing ever happened hey <laughs> how you doing <laughs> i'll be here all week sorry <laughs> well uh while peter gets his furby wet uh <laughs> let's a talk euphemism a, to stand the test let's of time. talk about the cast the cast of this movie was quite interesting we've got a very young Corey feldman as one of the very first most recognizable people you see yeah you know if they th he is the, one of the more recognizable people from this movie uh and maybe like john Ryan or judge sorry, judge, judge reinhold, reinhold i have also. notes in here at 13 minutes it's judge reinhold with five exclamation no sorry, six exclamation marks right. after it because I totally didn't remember Judge Reinhold being in this movie. No, me neither. Well, that's because he's, I mean, these two big names in the movie, do you recognize anybody else, first of all? Uh, well, okay, so, okay, it's weird, though. It's weird that Judge Reinhold is in this movie and Phoebe Cates is in this movie, and their right, characters right. could not be more different than they were in Fast Times. Right, and it's like, sure, sure. There's a point in the middle of the movie where Judge Reinhold's character is kind of like awkwardly hitting on Phoebe Cates' character, and it's like, dude, you jerked off to her while she was like getting out of the pool. Like, we know <laughs> what that is, right? And so that was so really weird. These two weird, movies are part of the like, same universe. <laughs> But yeah, it's like the like if you think like the le the rest of the cast like there was a lot of points that while watching this movie and obviously it's like you know it's thirty years later you're able to have some sort of recognition of like people that were bit points but like there were people that jumped out at me as like holy I didn't realize they were in this movie at a certain point there's the there's the science teacher and it's he's played by Glenn Turman who was. If you watch The Wire, he was made like the mayor, mayor yeah. voice in the oh. in the Wire, and I was like, oh my god! Like as soon as you see him, you hear him talk. It's like that's that's the dude. That's the dude from The Wire. Like in the first thing, like I remember Mike and I talked a little bit after after we had both watched it, and both of us like it jumped out that Jonathan Banks plays right. a deputy in this. Like, and that's the that's Mike from Breaking Bad. Is in yep. this movie like a no very young Mike from way. Breaking Bad? Is and the he's deputy. drunk and goofy. <laughs> yeah, and he, I did and not hear, recognize him at all. Ermin Trout? No, I did not recognize. Yeah, no, him. yeah. And you look at him, and it like it like I looked at him. I'm like, he is that? Could, could? And then as he as soon as he talked. It was like, oh, that's got to be. And I went right to IMDb to look it up, and I'm like, sure enough, Jonathan Banks. <laughs> Couldn't wow. believe it. So this also takes place in the same universe as Breaking Bad there because this go. is his rookie year. Yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely, because there was that drug-induced mass hysteria. So, but I mean, the other the other jump out for me for this one was like as I was watching it, Billy's mom is is Frances Lee McCain, who had the biggest like two years of being a mom in TV or in in, in movies that like anybody's ever had because she was Kevin Bacon's mom in Footloose, uh -huh. right? And she was. 
she she was Marty she McFly's was, bomb's yes. mom. She was in Back to the Future. Mom. Yes. Yeah. Because as soon oh my as I God, saw her, the why didn't movie? we have a love triangle with her character? Am I right? <laughs> as soon as no. she popped into the, as soon as she popped on the screen, I'm like, that Calvin Klein boy sure is weird. Like, like that, that <laughs> moment from when she's sitting down with, 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 like with Lorraine and just like talking about Marty McFly's like first appearance into the future, like or in the yeah. past, I guess. Like, yeah, it was I mean, one she, of, she had a busy night, like yeah, 1983 that, that to 85. Many. She, she's probably some casting age like hmm there's a mom takes a picture like tapes <laughs> her up like any movie we need mom we need a mom are. this is your mom you got this a mom, got a mom roll. <laughs> yeah we also have uh chuck jones as a cameo as billy's drawing mentor you know yeah. um, obviously he's not a huge screen presence but if you've ever watched any looney tunes he's everywhere spielberg actually does a walkthrough yeah at one point yeah. Or a uh, recumbent bicycle through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To be more precise, yeah. Yeah. The uh, the guy who plays uh, the dad, the inventor, Hoyt a- Axton. Hoyt Axton. He's a musician by trade. I just wanted to mention that he wrote uh, a couple of Three Dog Night songs, Joy to the World and Never Been to Spain. That's a that's one wow. for my wife. She's a huge Three Dog So he's fan. way out of character in this So, so he's a little <laughs> I mean, bit out of character. Yeah, that's right. he's pretty like a impressive singer. that, like, a dude, the dude that I had known, like, I, like that dude is 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 the dad from Gremlins. Like if I had ever see him on something, I'd be like, "Hey, that's a dude from Gremlins." That's and now it's like, no, that's a dude that wrote Joy to the World. <laughs> well, he was probably plagued in the '80s by kids coming up to him and being like, "You're the dad from Gremlins," and he's like, "I wrote all these songs for rock stars." But, I made an important contribution yeah. to. I have a music. I'm in the Oklahoma Country Hall of Fame. Well, he's probably, yeah. I'm guessing he was much higher earlier in his career, too. Mm, you're probably right. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good thing about the history and, and such. Now we know all about those minor characters that have, like, 50 seconds of screen time. In yeah. Yeah, d- Judge Reinhold was, like, gone. Like, in the first, you know, like, in the first half an hour of the movie, and then, like, nothing. There were Never. so many characters that did not need to be there. Never came back up. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, we're getting a little bit into the. I know, I know. It's tough not to though. When you talk I know, about I know, the characters, I know. like all right, well, it lends itself. All right, we'll come back to those things. Okay, indeed. indeed. All right, so let's talk about your particular histories with this movie. And since Adam's our guest, let's let Adam go first. Well, okay. So I was a wee lad of four or five years old when I probably saw this movie first. Uh, I didn't go see it in the theater because I think my parents were smart enough not to have me do it. I I was terrified by E.T. Like, I remember E.T. was probably, like, the first movie I went and saw in the theater. And I remember, like, the stuff in the beginning where, like, E.T. shows up in, like, the garage or the barn or the shed or whatever they got outside their house. Like, that, like, freaked me out. And I was, like, kind of a chicken shit as a kid. So, (laughs) like, my mom, I think, was smart enough to know that this is probably not a great movie for, for me to go to as a child, but uh, we watched it and, and uh, illegally taped it off of HBO uh, when I was little. And I, I remember watching it when I was a little kid. And I remember, you know, I had it on VHS, so I'm sure I at least watched it one more time. But, God, like, watching through this, I it, it really felt like I probably haven't seen it since, like, maybe, like, 86, 87 <laughs> at the re- most recent. It's been a long time for me. And I was, I mean, I really enjoyed, uh, I think we all kind of got in that point where it was like, we, we, we all kind of mentioned Gremlins 2 when we were talking about kind of our history for this. <laughs> and that like kind of, kind of trumped a lot of our memories for this, but like, yeah, it, it felt really kind of fresh to me 
when I watched it. And I, I, I didn't have much of a, of a recollection of what was going on in it. And I think, Mike, we talked a little bit about the fact that, like, my biggest, rem- my biggest memory from Gremlins is that at the time, like, you could go to Hardee's and you could get yeah you you could get and it, it wasn't with the like when i'm thinking about it now it wasn't with the kids meal it was like you bought the kids meal and then you spent like another 3 bucks or something like yeah, that yeah it was uh it was an extra i looked it up it was an extra 89 cents per that was oh, it 89 cents yeah. so yeah it was 3 bucks in in 1980 something terms yeah. but uh <laughs> yeah you could get uh and they were like these read along records right and so it came with a little book with a record with it and there was was it five or six of these things there was five and there was uh there was two sides so you had to turn the record over in the middle of it because it was you know big enough to just fit inside the the book and it was like a standard kid size book you know like like a berenstein bear size were these those little cardboard 45s that no they were actually legitimate like real records that you slip in the book and then you know they read you the story yeah and i I thought i was the only person that would remember that i'm like yeah i had like and I thought at the time I thought I only had the one I thought I only had the one from like it was like number four was like when they're in the movie theater I'm like I remember that one I remember it being terrifying to me as a child I'd be up in my room and I would have my Fisher Price like my first record player and I would have this disc on there and like these gremlins are cackling and and like laughing maniacally and it was like a pretty scary thing for me as a kid and then I was talking to Mike about it he's like yeah I have all of those <laughs> yeah I, I, well I, yeah I, I still have all of those there uh, I hadn't really played the record since probably the 90s because I remember my Fisher Price record player broke so I ended up uh, using my parents record player to record them onto a tape so I could do that but now, did yeah, your record player break or did the needle just like end up breaking and then there was no replacement needle for a Fisher Price record player? I uh, think it was probably that one. Yeah, it's the it's the needle every time. I remember it wrecking something that was unimportant that I didn't care about because then when it would break, uh, it would scrape along the thing because it was this big giant, you know, a kid can oh, actually yeah. grab that, yeah. you know, and then just like. <laughs> so. Well, you, you guys are dating yourselves by remembering a time when they Back gave in out my LPs day. At a, at, for, with a Happy Meal, right? <laughs> oh. Uh, well, what about you, Mike? Uh, it sounds like you, you also have some history with this movie. Well, like Adam, I, I also, most of my memories, I think I had confused this and Gremlins 2. Yeah, I remembered having seen it at some point. I remembered, you know, some scenes. But most of what I remembered about the story itself was from those records, that from Hardy's. And there were there were things that were completely different um, in the Hardy's records, things they added because, you know, this had they had to do uh, a little 10-minute kids' book to keep the kids interested. Like in the beginning where they're trying to uh, buy Gizmo, the little kid of the old man tries to sell him a shrunken head in the in the Hardy's book, which is not in the movie, so mm-hmm. I'm not really spoiling anything. Yeah, there's all sorts of weird things there, but what about you, Pete? You know, I ain't got jack shit. I thought <laughs> that I knew more about this movie, but those were all memories from Gremlins 2, indeed. Uh, now that I've watched the movie, I'm starting to wonder if I've ever seen it all the way through. I don't think so. I would guess that the only thing that I have a very clear memory of seeing on TV was the part where, well, I can't tell you, but it's 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 uh, getting the getting the uh, mogwai wet. We will say that that is the only thing I remember. So so the uh, which is one of the things you don't want to do. 
Unless oh, it's I, I have a diet. I have I, I like have twenty diatribes for those rules. We'll get I, to I, them later. I really can't wait until I have to put this on Twitter because it's going to be like hashtag getting the Mogwai wet. Getting the Mogwai <laughs> wet. Oh yeah, the Furby, the Mogwai, whatever you want to call it. Ladies' choice. All right. Oh. So yeah, seriously, I this was kind of a blank slate for me. I, I have a lot <laughs> less experience than I recall. Let's let's talk about the the other two things that we like to talk about. Your most recent viewing experience and your baggage. Let's go back around. So Adam, tell us about your experience and baggage you may have brought in. I mean, the only baggage I guess I brought in is thirty years of like life experience. That would be my only baggage because, like, I'm a very, very different person than I was when I was five years old. So my experience of this might be a little bit different. Um, I'm exactly it, the same. No, I mean, I'm not too far off. Not, I'm not. I'm really not too far off. But then, like, I also like I have a five year old. So like, as I was watching this, I continually thought about like I just kept in the back of my mind. I every every time anything was a little too, a little too dark, and it's a dark movie. Like, anytime it was a little too dark, I was like, I, I mean, I can't believe I watched this when I was my son's age. Like, how did I process this? And does he process that? Like, it was kind of enlightening because it, like, it made me realize that he probably, like, has much more of, like, an ability to understand things than I give him credit for. I still hold all these memories from when I was a kid. The parts that freaked me out about this movie still, like, resonated with me. And I'm like, wow, you know, he probably is going to maintain still a lot more of what like he's experiencing right now than than anything else. Uh, most recent viewing experience, I mean, I watched it. I, I don't know what was it. When was it that we watched? Was it two days ago? Because I yeah. mean, you watched it, and I watched it the same night, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it wasn't the best of settings for it because I watched it on my computer, uh, but I did have all the lights out because I felt like it's enough towards the horror vein that I kind of need to. To do that so i had lights out i had headphones on like i try to treat it like a straight up horror movie just to kind of get the aesthetic for it mm-hmm. um and i mean we'll get i guess we'll get to how that how that worked or didn't later right <laughs> okay what about you pete okay so recent viewing experience uh yeah i started it after the 10 o'clock hour last night and finished it at the stroke of midnight so i put my food down and i didn't eat anymore because i learned a cautionary tale at that that movie there but uh, oh that was stupid but <laughs> i am very tired um <laughs> the uh yeah the movie was completely unfettered by any baggage because i have no experience with it and uh, so i just sat back and let it unfold let it wash it over you like a like a sexy gremlin tide, right? Well, I won't sleep tonight either then, I guess. <laughs> that, that, that's about it. My experience with this one, well, I actually tried to get it on Amazon Prime first. Uh, as many of you know, we put in the uh, last episode that you could watch it on Amazon Prime, and they yanked it the day I went to watch it. So, <laughs> so I'd actually downloaded it to my iPad because... I live out in the sticks, if any of you know me, and I don't get good internet, so I download it to my iPad, throw it on the TV, watch it there, you know? Didn't have it, so I ended up trying to, uh, I ended up paying to rent it. After that, it was fine, but it, it was kind of a weird thing to go watching, trying to go watch thing, go press play, it's like, oh, you know? Mm. Yeah, otherwise, uh, my experience was pretty good. Made homemade pizza, and then... Uh, my, I didn't know my wife wanted to watch it with me, so we, that was kind of a nice surprise, and uh, we ate pizza, and I didn't take as many notes as I could, but I pretty much remember everything from, from that, so I'm, I'll be fine. And as far as baggage I brought in, 
It's just the, uh, I didn't remember as much as I thought about this movie. With that, let's get right to the spoilers then. Okay, so now we're going to spoil the heck out of the movie. So if you have the desire to watch the movie and you haven't watched it yet, now's the time where you pause the podcast and we wait for you to come back. Good, you've seen the movie or don't care. So, guys... Let's spoil the hell out of this movie. Who wants to start with an abbreviated spoiler in the format of an elevator pitch? Uh, paper, rock, scissors for it? Or, Adam, do you want to do it? Oh, uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll give you guys the day off. All right. Do it. You know Brave what? man. I'll give you guys, I'll give you guys the 30,000-foot view of Gremlins. All right? Um, there's about 20 minutes where nothing happens. And then Hoyt Axton decides to buy his son... A, a present and that present is going to come in the form of a weird little pet that nobody's ever seen before and it's called a mogwai right and this cute adorable little pet thing he buys at a um at, 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 a, at a strange chinese vendor in in chinatown and i mean that's where you'd expect the chinese vendors to be in chinatown i suppose um, well, they're free to go wherever they want i suppose yeah but i mean <laughs> Yeah. It's. It just seems like it, it, if it was anything else, I mean, if it was a Norwegian vendor in Chinatown, I probably should point out the, the ethnicity. But I guess when you, when it's in Chinatown, you would assume, make assumptions as would be, that it would be a Chinese vendor. Anyway, this old man. What was his name? Was his Wing? Mister Wing? I think was Mister Wing. Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't want to sell the Mogwai because it's you know no come on you can't sell a Mogwai this thing's too precious. But, you know, his ne- his nephew, grandson, I think, maybe grandson, yeah, like, runs out and is like, all right, I want to make a quick deal. Here you go. Here's this here's this little this little uh, terror demon thing. Here's three rules real quick. Real quick while I got you here, mister. Here's three rules that could end the world. And, uh, okay, thanks. Uh, a few hundred dollars. Thank you. Let's move Bye. on our way. Uh, so, yeah, so he brings it back home. He gives it to his son for Christmas. Uh, there's some cute bonding scenes. And sure enough, uh, the rules get broken one by one. You know, he gets he gets the Mogwai wet. How are you going to do that? Uh, after exposing it to bright light a few times, you know, thankfully not too darn bright. And then, you know, little by little, it, it all leads up to the feeding after midnight when the gremlins actually turn from Mogwai into gremlins. And the world is, is never quite the same, I suppose. And so then it's just dealing with this monster that man hath wrought upon itself. It, it sounds more epic than it is, but that's that's what we're faced to deal with. Yay, that's that's Notably absent from your elevator pitch are basically almost all the characters of the movie and any subplot that has nothing to do with the gremlins, those things are all introduced. None of them are necessary to the viewing whatsoever. Let me also point out the fact that this elevator, this is a pretty long elevator. We were going from floor about 30 down to floor one. So that's how long it took to get through, get through the elevator. Each, each floor being 1,000 feet? Well, it's, your 30, it's a big, it it's still a big. doesn't beat Space Jam's elevator pitch, which actually was quite complicated, so good on you for simplifying. Well, I felt the, like no, I, I brought it down to what we needed. You gave us only what we needed which is good and i wish the i wish the the, the makers of gremlins had had kind of followed that plot because i'm kind of with you my very first note is 11 minutes in and there's nothing going on here it was a long time before anything happened in this movie like surprisingly long 
like I understand the setting the stage and like giving you the 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 like the world around this this kind of weird catastrophe that happens, but I don't think it needed to be quite that long. It's a it's about an it's about an hour before you see a gremlin. Like, yeah, Adam, I was just gonna say it's about halfway through this film's running length before you actually see a gremlin. Uh, yeah. It's like wow, this is a slow paced movie. <laughs> they should have called it like small town. Yeah, right. With gremlins or Kingston but I mean, it's Falls, twenty minutes. It's twenty minutes. Well, it's it's just shy, probably. I guess it's probably fifteen minutes or so before you actually see a mogwai, even like. Yeah. Well, they're wasting time with all these subplots, the uh, the things we don't care about because they all get exactly ninety seconds of screen time, like, like Rand Peltzer's inventions. Right. The the inventions. The fact the bathroom that bathroom buddy the is going to change the future. Of hotel of the hotel industry, the bathroom buddy was amazing. It's brilliant. Well, it's a Swiss just, Army. It's a Swiss Army knife with all of the things you might need to use in the bathroom. I thought that that performance was actually kind of funny because you know it was just like a salesman. It squirts uh, toothpaste all over Mister Wing, and he's like, "That's not important. Don't worry about. <laughs> Don't worry. That, that cleans that right that up. That cleans right up. <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't miss a beat. It's great. But that that uh, that starts you know the whole. I mean. It, it happens later throughout the movie, but that's, again, that 80s wacky invention trope, you know. Only it doesn't go for the overly complicated machines trope. It's the overly complicated machines that don't work and don't fix a broken problem. I love their their kitchen. Just, like, all right. of the machines in their kitchen were amazing. And, like, that was... Of all the things I didn't remember from Gremlins, the things I did remember were just, like, how... Like, I remember this, and I don't know why. Like... There was that machine that was their like egg cracking machine, right, where it like yeah. had a little. Tr- it was like a little. It was like a, it was like two rails set next to like a like a, a hen's head, and it like it like the eggs rolled down, and it like the hen's head flipped down and cracked open the egg, and then like it just kind of screwed up, and all the eggs started rolling through. And it was yeah, like for some weird reason work. that I remember from this movie more than anything else. I think it's because you could see what there's. Well, maybe the bathroom buddy is the exception. But in the stuff in the kitchen, you can see what it's supposed to do and how spectacularly it fails. Well, but are they really fixing a problem? I mean, what was wrong with the original coffee machine or what was wrong with an orange juicer? They they work just fine, but does like having a nuclear fission-powered orange juicer that sprays oranges everywhere really help anything? No, but I mean, there's a moment like when 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 they just really try to lampshade in the inventions. Like it's about a half hour in where. They're all kind of sitting around in, they're all sitting around in the kitchen, and like Hoyt Axton, who plays Dad in this, is just like going from one, like pulling up one invention to another. It's like he pulls out like this automated pneumatic hammer, right, mm-hmm. and it just starts You're like right. clack 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 clack, and it's like that's totally unnecessary. That might be more difficult to use than just a hammer. Like I can't imagine <laughs> the physics of that. Like it would jerk your hand back. It would like that would be worse than a hammer. And then well, he yeah. he pick he puts that down and he picks up a drill that's connected to like four fly swatters on like a <laughs> wheel and he s- turns that on and it like starts spinning around and these like wild fly swatters are like whipping in every which direction and which I would love to have that like you know on a hot summer day to be able to like take out twenty mosquitoes with a like a yeah, drill based right out of the air. fly swatter that would be amazing. 
But I don't even remember what happened in that scene other than that stuff. I think he's talking... I mean, the, it, the entire thing is just basically them talking about how the Mogwai, like, are splitting up from being getting, like, getting wet. Like, this is oh. right after they got wet. Oh, yeah, yeah And they're yeah. just kind of talking about that a little bit. He's like, what? You broke one of the cardinal rules for Mogwai? Well, I never figured out what the hell those were for. And by the way, being a technical writer by trade, that bugs me. Giving incomplete directions, I get that he was trying to, you know, hurry the guy out the door, but come on. <laughs> Tell me why I don't want to get the Mogwai wet. Oh, know? yeah, that was that was a huge issue I had with it. Like, it. It's like when the kid is like going through this stuff, like that kid had no practical knowledge. He can't have any practical knowledge about Mogwai, right? He's so serious about, Mr. Whatever you do, no matter how much they beg, no matter what happens, you can't feed them after midnight. And he's so serious about it. But how would he know? Like, there's no way that Wing ever fed them after midnight. There's no way he would have any practical knowledge. And if he did know that if you, like, if he knew that pit, that bit about, hey, if you do feed them after midnight, they're going to turn into an ungodly terror. Like, <laughs> right. that would be told. Like, he would explain that. Like, there would be that, other, that like, little extra extra bit of information well look i mean you know your audience isn't getting your message if his response to you is yeah yeah kid whatever you say basically right you know, it's like no wait well, try and impart this knowledge upon him a little more vigorously so that right, he actually right. follows but it. then when dad explains the rules it's the exact same inflection when dad explains to billy all the rules of the mogway every time anyone in this movie reads the rules to us about about what you need to do when you're faced with a mockway. They're so serious about that mm -hmm. feeding thing, despite the fact that nobody has ever seen what happens if they do feed them after midnight. Well, and despite the fact that the dad has, it seems, much more information about the rules than the kid gave him. I mean, the kid gave him ten words strung together, but the dad's got, like, all sorts of new information he came up it, with. It, it's almost like the dad is sitting him down, like, listen here. Right. <laughs> This, this is the this, this is, is how your it is. Responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> about being a man, me. son. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. Well, and you know, we don't know what the severity of any of the you know consequences are. It's like, don't get that mogwai wet. Why? Because it'll smell bad. You know, <laughs> yeah. something like that. It's like, oh no, it'll turn into a demon terror. Well, you know, it'll multiply and then turn into a demon terror. All right, now's a great time to talk about these about these rules, okay? Because we're we've talked about the rules, and I feel like everybody has. Has, has talked about the rules in the past. I think like it's nothing new to say that there's some fundamental flaws in these rules, right? You have three basic rules for Mogwai care. Rule number one, avoid bright lights. Okay, sure, maybe. I could get past that one, right? That could that could reasonably exist in the natural world. Well, like, you don't want to do a like camera Like they come from caves or something and, and yeah. they have, don't have good eyes. Or, you know, yeah, sure, or hypersensitivity, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are people that are, are, are like, allergic to sunlight. Like, it, it, it exists. It's a thing. You know? So, okay, I can get that. I can get Reasonable. sunlight and kill them. Bright light's bad. Great. We're moving on to don't get them wet. This one I have a real problem with because – what is wet like like you can't okay so don't get them wet don't like don't get them horny son yeah no, okay well i mean I, let's not go that way but well, i mean i i get what you're stepping in the human body is 70 percent water there how much is the mogwai body uh, you know? yes and if if it's like and how does how does anything like they like it's at different parts in this thing they're seeing like 
like eating foods and like enjoying food and stuff like that. And it's like, like you can't eat and not get exposed to, to Mm -hmm. if the issue is hydrogen dioxide in general, just the, the, the element uh, or the, I guess the, the, the molecular compound of water itself, like they're going to get exposed to that consistently. Like water vapor exists in the air. Mm -hmm. Like even in rocks, like if you fed them rocks, you'd find it trace amounts. Not to mention these guys walk on snow and they're fine. Oh yeah, guys, yeah. You know. Nothing pissed me off more than about like the, like near like about halfway through the movie, like Stripe heads off, like just bolts out a window and heads off through the snow. And it's like, I'm sorry, if that doesn't fucking count as water, what counts as water? <laughs> I mean, it is literally frozen water. That's all that is. It's not even like it's diluted or anything. I'm really, we should be talking about the end times if this was happening. Right, exactly. Yeah, they'd just be multiplying, you know, like a plague for sure. Okay, so enough issues with the water. The big, big problem, and I think this is the most like renowned problem with this, is don't feed them after midnight, which seems like such a specific and restrictive rule. But very arbitrary. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, like midnight where like midnight where you are like, Greenwich Mean Time always Greenwich Mean Time because that's the concern like like because because Billy's checking his clock he's like well okay it's eleven forty I think it's good I can feed these guys now but it's like what about daylight savings times like like does does the Mogwai body adjust to that or like if you if you consistently go in in this if you consistently go in an eastern direction that's right. right. Like, if you travel in a consistently eastern direction at a high enough rate of speed, can you always surpass midnight? Like, can you always be moving over time zones into a point where you can feed them consistently and there's no is, repercussions? Hey, that's the only defense against this plague. That's what I have to say. Well, I speed mean, jets counterclockwise. And then the counter, <laughs> the counter also brings itself into, 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 like, the question, like, when can you feed them again? Because, like, there's... This is all. It's yeah, always it after midnight. It like, right now, you're golden. I'm sitting right here. It's 9:38 p.m. You would think, yeah, I could feed him right now, but it's after midnight, right? It's after midnight yesterday. Oh, so shit. When, when is it good again? Like, can you literally only feed them the day they're born, and then from then on out? Well, okay, I guess it's a slow drive to starvation for you, fellow, because I can never feed you again. Actually, I think it's the uh, it's the first midnight ever. That is the only time you could have fed them before. So you can't feed them. You can't give them water. Uh, yeah. Are they, are they, this is basically the, it's the, it's the complete opposite of everything you've ever been taught to, to care for a pet. Like feed them, water them and let them pee outside. That's basically it. Is Those that maybe rules. the reason? Is that the rules, how they came up with that? Well, okay. So, I mean, the, so it, it's obviously intended, like, the, I guess the undercurrent for this whole thing is obviously intended to be, a, a, like, a magical creature, right? And so it doesn't need to conform to the rules of, of the real world, right? But it's presented in a way where it's, like, it's presented as a real thing. It's presented as, like, is, is like this this real little pet you pick up at a pet shop, right? So, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it really doesn't match. But, I, yeah, I think that the rules have to be so difficult, so exacting to follow just because you know as you get to the end you realize that the whole thing is is kind of a like a man's relationship with nature is the is like the like the whole idea behind it and it has to be intentionally difficult to to i guess to to be able to have this pet in a way that it's sustainable because you know life and human life interacting with nature is is kind of difficult and it requires a delicate touch 
you know? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a literary device, you know, the, the hero needs a quest, and the quest is to stop the monsters, so he needs to have something he can royally F up beforehand in order to make that happen. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and, and plus rules are just fun, so. And, and yeah, and it, it basically also is a setup to set up the villain, you know, in this case, Stripe, the intelligent, uh, spawn of gizmo that uh oh i thought you were gonna say mrs deagle all right okay well, yeah. mrs. No, deagle no, never mrs. Pays deagle off. was mrs. weird deagle enough never... because it, it like like about 12 minutes into this movie i really thought we were just watching wizard of oz because there's this right. mean old lady that is like her whole goal in life is to take billy's dog away right. and, and kill it slowly and she wants to torture it that's just that's funny <laughs> like eventually hey funny. guess what the dog not only no longer matters but also mrs teagle no longer matters well any subplot other than gremlin related stuff doesn't matter they introduce subplots left and right all over the place judge reinhold doesn't matter judge, judge reinhold doesn't matter doesn't matter this young is Corey the same, feldman doesn't this, need to be there None this of is them the do. same year as beverly hills cop and judge reinhold doesn't matter in this movie yeah, that's like that. That's that's pretty serious. Now that that's, you mention that, yeah, they just like, threw him in there, cause yeah. You know? No, this year was like, if you if you look at like the top movies from this year, it was like Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom. Those two might be out of order, and Gremlins was at number four. And two of those movies has George Reinhold, and the first one uses him to a plum, and the fourth one like. He's there. Everything in that first part of the movie, it could be, almost everything could be excised, other than, like, Rand Peltzer buys Gremlin. Rand Peltzer gives Gremlin to Sun. Everything else in between is just non-consequential. Yeah, absolutely. There are probably no fewer than a dozen characters introduced in the first 20 minutes of the movie that do not need to exist. That's, that's... The girlfriend needs to exist. Barely. Uh, What's her name? Kate. Um, Kelly. But here's here's the thing that I, I, like... All right, so that was my initial take from it, too. It's like, why do these people exist? This has nothing to do with gremlins. This has nothing to do with, like, the the core of this movie. And then I started thinking, like, maybe, maybe, like, I'm, maybe I'm approaching it from a, from a viewpoint that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Like, when it was presented, it was presented in a very different way than I know it now. Like, I know what's coming. I know what the intent is. Like, I, and I know when it happens, and I know the things that are leading up to it. And I'm wondering if, like, that all that stuff, all that stuff leading up to it, doesn't build on that. Like, this is a normal place with other rule, with like other problems and other issues. And here's the here's the underlying story of a mean widow that owns the bank, basically that wants to foreclose on people and and mm. is a terrible person at Christmas and setting up just like the standard tropes that you expect like the movie that was supposed to be made which was a like feels like a uh like a wonderful christmas like type of movie like or it's a wonderful life wonderful like, life yeah. a wonderful life is it there really is a wonderful life a wonderful life is there to be like talked about and that movie is existent and then the gremlins happen and the movie mm. is different because of that and you know i wouldn't doubt it because like say what you want about like about how immature uh, like a concept like any of the things that a co- that accompany either of the gremlins movies are they are very aware of the of like the meta mentality there and and are um are, are are willing to revel in breaking the fourth wall as often as possible so like when i started thinking about it that way and i started thinking about it as a okay well maybe like this was 
a movie that was like all this stuff that seems unimportant and seems like random unnecessary characters were all from a movie that was supposed to happen it's life that was supposed to happen that immediately changed once these gremlins started existing i i i kind of like appreciated it a little bit differently you know what well, i mean that's that's like any disaster movie or any movie where any sort of conflict is introduced i suppose the uh the you know life cannot go on in its straight line without uh, resolution so yeah yeah, some of the characters that they they did introduce um, are there to do the horror movie thing of like we introduce this character just so we can show them in distress. So that they may die. Or, or yeah, well, in the case of Corey Feldman's character, so they, he can shoot gremlins off the roof with a slingshot. But uh, yeah, like Mr. Futterman, who um, I think plays more, he plays better in Gremlins too. But uh, we're not going there. He was introduced as like the in the old codger who's depressed and. You know, and he hates anything foreign made. Right. Uh, you know, he was there so that gremlins could drive a construction machine through his apartment or through his house. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I had him as one of the few confirmed casualties in this movie. But you see, yeah. he was in the second I did one. Too. Sorry That's to spoil a, that. No, yo, I'm with you there. Like, I kind of forgot he was in the second one because, yeah, I had, I had a pretty. It's a, it's a significant list of casualties when you think about it. Like, just if you consider. Like the ways they died, there's a lot of gruesome death in this. Now, Mr. Futterman and his wife are in the second one. Sorry to spoil that. Oh, but, but really, are there so many? I mean, the only others that I had were the science teacher, which and is a, that's significant. Mrs. Yeah, well, I mean, Mrs. Deagle, like, although set up as a unsympathetic, like, terrible woman at the beginning, like, was launched through her second mm-hmm. floor window. I love that. Yeah, she's still a person who died, though, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, and, like, bad, terribly, bad like, died in mm-hmm. a very bad way. And, I mean, I guess, like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, that that was it was the stuff that was eye-opening to me. It was, like, I didn't realize, I guess, some of that stuff was going on. But, I mean, this was a time in my life where every time you watched somebody get shot on TV, they oh, it was always a silenced gun, right? Mm-hmm. And so I always, when I heard that sound of a silenced gun, I thought they were getting shot by dart guns. Like, huh. I was like... They were getting knocked out. And so, like, I guess it was a completely different thing to me. Like, I saw her get launched out and, like, fall on the ground. But that was, like, a Looney Tunes moment, right? And, like, so much of this, it felt like the over-the-top violence of a of a, of a a Chuck Jones cartoon, right? Where it's it's so over-the-top, but it's like, those people are fine. Like, they're, like, they're actually okay. They're not dead, right? This was the era of bad guys in children's TV shows always being robots and being shot with lasers or whatever, you know? It was just like, they could ostensibly just be stunned. Well, and, and that's but where... But they're robots anyway. This really is, I mean, it is a horror comedy. That's the intent of the movie from, from the get-go. Um, when you start seeing the gremlins, you, uh, you know, see them, like, you know, Christmas caroling in front of... Uh, in front of a house, you know, to get the person to come out to give them, you know, get the other gremlins in the chance to, you know, mess things up. And that's that's a big point for me is like it feels like there was got almost four movies here. Like this was four movies. Like there was the first the first movie we've kind of talked about. It was like the movie that sh- that we were expecting uh, when you like if you had no expectations walking in, you saw the first like fifteen minutes of the movie. Like, the movie that you would expect would be, like, It's a Wonderful Life type of a movie, right? So there was that movie, okay? And then, once the gremlins hatch, there is a very different movie that happens for, like, 
maybe the next 20 minutes or so. Yeah, that's uh, that's the, the mom section when Lynn Peltzer is basically going around the house being terrified of gremlins and doing a surprisingly good job of dispatching them. <laughs> that, that was probably the scene of the movie I liked the best, the mom's time to shine, where like it becomes a splatterhouse film, essentially. Oh, yeah, that, mo- that, that part of the movie was surprisingly suspenseful. And, and it's really weird, like, because that whole part, it's like... It's not just, and you may, like, that's the part you remember, I think, like, her throwing the the gremlin into the microwave and then him exploding, or, like, food processor, all that stuff. Like, that's the stuff you remember, but, like, meantime, in that that section, like, in the same section, Billy's at his school trying to hunt down this rogue gremlin that he's brought to to the school, and uh, it's doing an amazing job of, like, that aliens uh, kind of of mentality of don't show it before you have to show right. it. Oh and, yeah. And well, it's that's like, wh- that's where my count for when are they going to actually show this thing started? It's like, okay, we know there are gremlins now. When are we going to actually see one? Come on. It was 15 minutes into this movie. Right. And they had never shown more than the hands of the gremlins. Right. Mm-hmm. They're just building up that fear of both. Like it, it's almost a Hitchcock esque thing of like you want to see the gremlins, but you don't want to see the gremlins. Like you know it's going to be freaky and scary, but you just you want the resolution of knowing exactly because you know your mind is worse than what it's actually going to be. It's right. Like, he right. looks like because you'll be confronted with a hand puppet pretty quick here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's they're, like they're strangely cute. Yes. He gets he gets scratched and he looks over the desk and. The gremlin's gone. It's like broke through an air vent, and like it's like he gets to the nurse's office. He wraps up his hand, and it pops out of a cabinet. And you get like like a, a like a half a second less look a, at it, and then it's second, off yeah. through another vent. And it it's not until Billy's mom like really starts squaring off against these things that you really start seeing them. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know if you guys read much about the script ahead of like like the, the script that they changed obviously to to make this movie, but no, no. Like, it makes that whole thing so much darker and weirder because Billy's mom, like, like is heading up the stairs. She's got a kitchen knife in hand. Like, she's hearing stuff going on upstairs, okay? She's heading up the stairs, kitchen knife in hand, and it's really creepy knowing that the original script had the gremlins decapitating her and tossing her head down those stairs as soon as Billy walks in the door. You know, I I like the replacement, though. The scene ends on a very vorpal note with Billy walking through the door, grabbing a sword, knocking a gremlin's head into the fire, and we watch it burn on camera. I mean, this movie has its moments, for sure. It does have its moments, but, yeah. No, in the original script, it was... I mean, Spielberg thought it was too dark, and he was right, but... Like, well, it would have gotten the R rating and they would have missed out on the kid mom, dollars. Mom died off camera. Uh, she was decapitated. Her head rolled down the screen on camera. And when Billy got home, the gremlins were eating his dog. Yeah. Wow. Well, I always knew that that wasn't a suitable pet for the same house as a dog, but hey, whatever. <laughs> I thought it was weird. Yeah, when he got the when he got Gizmo, he was like, oh, did you give me a puppy? It's like, your dog's right there, dude. My, like, yeah, come right. on. We got a replacement number for this one. If this was a Warner Brothers cartoon, the dog would be like, Ooh. "Yeah, no kidding." I, I, well, I was just thinking, what the hell? This is a prey animal you just bought for your son, who already has a pet. I don't know. And again, magical creatures. You have to ignore some of the stuff that like biology would teach you. But like Mogwai have to be super super precocial. Like that that has to be like a thing here because you you've got them reproducing, and then immediately they're able to walk around. Like they can immediately like move around no issues like 
they're in these little balls, but then like their ears pop up and they're like, now I'm moving around just as good as Gizmo does. Like that's a prey animal thing. That's that only exists mm-hmm. in prey animals where they have to like they have yeah. to uh, like right. adjust so quickly you and have to be, be like born running. Basically, yeah, you got to be born running because there's there's something that's going to get you. But meanwhile, these are creatures that like all they got to do is eat after midnight, and all of a sudden they're like the most Critters. dangerous critter in the mm-hmm. world. Suddenly, it makes sense why they're hell bent on becoming, you know gremlins as opposed to mogwai i mean they yeah. freaking chewed through the cord on his alarm clock so that oh yeah they forced that it they, they knew easy. like and, and it's it's so weird like so many things that they just patently understood like as soon as they saw a gun they knew the purpose of it like yeah. it's like no you don't know what that is well the purpose of a gremlin is to do hijinks basically uh, there were so many points in this movie where i found it patently impossible that if this were the real world that mogwai or, or in fact gremlins would not have overrun the earth way before 1984 like this could not have been the first occurrence of a gremlin outbreak and this one strangely went better than anything anybody could have imagined right you don't understand that that mr wing was the guardian of the gremlin supposed to save the world from this horrid or keep them from it and he keeps it in his shop and just like unattended and lets his grandson just like yeah sell it off He's and an then, ineffective like, follows guardian. up oh, on yeah. that problem two days later. It's like, oh, you sold the Mogwai, did you? Okay, I guess I'll go sort that out. Ugh, I got a lot to do today, though. I got an inventory. Yeah, right. <laughs> got to mind the shop where I have, like, one visitor every month. Oh, by the way, you know, sometime Billy might be okay to take care of these grim- mm-hmm. uh, this Mogwai, but, you know, after all of the people that died. Maybe in Gremlins, too. <laughs> Can I explain to you guys what my, li- like, the the most unbelievable point of this movie was for me? Sure. 40 if minutes you can pick in. Just one, go for it. This is the one most unbelievable point in the movie. Is that 40 minutes in? Now, I don't know how, how old Billy is in this movie. Okay. That Driving is, age. Like he's, he's drinking age. He's at a bar drinking beer. Oh, well, it was 18 and 1984. Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. He goes to high school because his pet has multiplied by water. He goes to a well, not even high school. He might be a middle school because Corey Feldman's <laughs> there, and he's much younger. Like, so he goes to a school. Let's just put it that. And he gives <laughs> he yeah. gives a duplicate Mogwai to his science teacher that used to be a science teacher, right? Because who better to trust with this weird pet thing than a science teacher, right? There's that. That's weird enough already. But then at 40 minutes in, the same night that Billy stupidly feeds these things after midnight the science teacher is at school doing just random blood tests on this thing at 2:20 in the morning and leaves a sandwich sitting there it perpetuates the myth that teachers live at school they teachers sleep and live at their schools right. right like it's that i mean i i but granted i'm a teacher so that's part of why it's so unbelievable to me but the idea <laughs> that a teacher would be at their school at 2:20 in the morning like I would probably be fired if I showed up at my school at two twenty in the morning. There would there would be questions. There would be inquisitions. Why are you here? It no, doesn't make any sense. Right. It's very suspicious, and weird. Well, luckily this movie doesn't follow 
real life logic really at all. Okay, so. so we've 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 basically spent a long time just diatribing on all the things that are that are bad about this movie. Do we have any things that you know, I, I just, this came to me while we were talking. I had all sorts of notes about why do the, and you mentioned, why do the gremlins know how to use guns? How the hell did those gremlins get the projector working at the theater in order to, you know, watch Snow White, which they all just loved, I guess. Uh, they're gremlins. They have mechanical aptitude. They know how to specifically uh, make machines not function anymore, so they must understand how they do function. It's a good answer. Yeah. I don't know, but you noticed they did a fair amount of messing up that projector as they were getting it to... to yeah. And go. that's the third part of the movie. Like I said, that this feels like it's four different movies, right? That third part of the movie is the bar scene and the movie Which, theater God, scene. such an overlong scene of where they were just trying to cram as much idiocy in as mm -hmm. they possibly because could. Because that, that is the Looney Tunes part of this movie. Okay. That's that my the, favorite. It, it is the... Like everything is a sight gag. Everything is a is a goofy reference to films gone past, and and and, and it's it, it, it is it de it definitely turns from something that could have been. It felt like aliens. Like once once she like once the mom's looking for the gremlins and that kind of stuff. It definitely felt like alien. Like it, it felt like that type of a movie, and then immediately it flips it on its ear, and now it's now it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Now it's these things are not evil they're just mischievous in a way that they don't differentiate they're chaotic evil in a way that that is dangerous to anyone who's not you know well, man they seem like they're just chaotic i mean they live for hijinks way more than they live for causing any you know harm to people it just happens except stripe stripe now stripe you know he he okay the they first of all billy blows up the movie theater where they're all watching snow white in order to kill them all which means he's now done more damage than anybody in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, including I mean, in all the, of the gremlins. In this in this day and age, you can't you can't avoid having a domestic terrorism feel come from the fact that he's blowing up an entire movie theater. Like, I don't know. Like, again, like he's nineteen years old, maybe right? Nineteen, twenty, maybe. Yeah, right? you know. I mean, the, yeah, the he's doing hard that, time like, for this. That the idea that <laughs> like I was in if I was in that situation. I would run the hell away. Like I wouldn't be in the, I, I wouldn't be the like, in the theater like manipulating a gas leak to blow the place up. Like that would never even cross my mind. Right, but to, but to Mike's point, Stripe, yes, he does seem more at least malevolent than the rest of the. Gremlins. The other ones just follow. Yeah, he, right. He happens to get out of the movie theater before it blows up, but it's just to get more snacks. I mean, the only reason he's trying to kill Billy is so that he can like live to stuff his face with Baby Ruth's another day. I mean, that's basically <laughs> it. He's he's also just like all the other Gremlins. He's just a little bit more sly than the others, I suppose. Yeah, I guess it did bother me that he looked out through a window and saw the candy store with the sign in neon that said candy and he immediately said candy or yum yums or something of that nature like he could read he i guess he was read. planning on using the twinkie defense uh, when he went to court right anybody I would like to point that out yeah. i would like to point out from the bar scene why is there a female gremlin there's a gremlin in the bar scene that has like lipstick and she's got like furs up and she's on she's on stripe's arm at the time or like it's, one of the like during the like the poker scene when Stripe pulls out a gun and shoots like a random other gremlin for no reason and the gun looks super fake. Like, why does that even have to exist? Like, it seems unnecessary. They're reproducing through asexual means. Why? Why are there genders at all in 
in a gremlin hierarchy. That's a good question. And and really, with asexual reproduction, if I may be pedantic here, yes, uh, doctor, you uh, you are uh, having an exact clone of the original. So why do they have such different personalities and even Mm. hair types? Great question. If it's you know the only thing I can think of that does that is a sponge, and you're you're getting an exact genetic clone. Then again, things with exact genes can. possess different traits i suppose i guess we got to brush our hands and say magical creature yet again right? magic uh i don't know anything about water bears but i think there's something with that yes no doubt anyway um key to everything water bears uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh the 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 bar scene was also interesting for me obviously yeah the the references to movies gone by the poker scene specifically was a reference to the painting of dogs playing poker only it was gremlins obviously there's like a flash dance reference in there or something. Yes, but, there is with the with the one gremlin that's just sort of like with the yeah. with the leg warmers mm-hmm. and what this have is you. Like, it's, I think I think we're missing a lot of '80s references. It really dates it, yeah, because I mean, flash yeah. dance does not have like yeah. You you get anybody that didn't watch this back in the time to go watch this and say before you watch Gremlins, can you watch these 27 other movies that Gremlins <laughs> right. are going to make jokes about? Anyway, Phoebe Cates' character is like bartending her heart out there, but why does she not just like leave? Well, she seems calm-ish, considering there's this. She's trapped in this enclosed space with like a hundred of these gremlins. As soon as they get out of there, she's like completely losing her shit every time she sees a single one of them out on the street. It's like you waited until now to be afraid of these things. I mean, what? Well, yeah, she seemed the most capable of dealing with their shenanigans while she's in there, and then as soon as she gets the gets Billy around, she's not capable anymore. Well, that's right. Now she's a damsel. She's but, the hey. she's the most insufferable character in this movie for me. Hey, like, come on. She's had a hard life. With she's her had a hard Santa life. Claus, she doesn't uh, like she doesn't like Christmas. You know, my <laughs> my rule of thumb is for a for a female character in a movie, and this may sound this may sound mean and, and mean spirited, but this this has nothing to do with Phoebe Cates, because I, I like Phoebe Cates, I genuinely do. I just don't think the writing for that character was anything. If nope. you can take if you can take any care any character in a movie, and I guess this I guess this is female or male character in a movie. And just mentally replace them with Kathy Griffin playing that role, okay? Mm-hmm. And would you still like the character? Well, in Phoebe Cates's character's position with Kate, it, not at all. I would despise this character. I, this would be the 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 joke of the uh, like she would get her comeuppance due from the Gremlins just for daring to be Kathy Griffin. So all you have to do is okay. do that, that that basic substitution, and you realize that. The entirety of what Phoebe Cates' character has going for her is you're supposed to like her because she's beautiful like Phoebe Cates. And that's that's there's nothing there, you know? Like, she's mean. She's, she's like, I guess she's not mean, but she's, like... Depressing? She's de- depressing and, and, and off, like, offstanding and, and, like, genuinely not interested until she's, like, way too interested for no reason and... And just like a caricature of of what the expectation of a woman in this movie should be, she's, she's just a meat bag that turns into an escort mission, basically. Yeah, exactly. And she's not realistic either. I mean, obviously, you know, she tells she has her story to tell that's you know tragic, right? But how could you live in the town when they they spent the whole first part of the movie setting up like this town is so small, everybody knows everybody else's shit. And uh, how can Nobody you be in this town and, and Billy not know this? You know? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Listen, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get on it too much because it was the '80s, and like there was very, very few decent, like well, well written roles for women at the time. But I mean, Billy's mom is a badass in this movie, and then oh, you yeah. got Phoebe Cates over here just like sucking it up. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, why can't she be like equally as badass? Why can't she take a few of these things out in 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 the men run? Why isn't she? Why is she always running from from the danger? You know, her only her only innovation is using a flash camera until it runs out of flashes. Honestly, Billy should have took his mom around. I mean, she made one mistake in the whole heart, entire house. Everything else, she did really well at. Yeah. This is the 80s, so she would have had to put on a bandana and say, this time it's personal. That's Gremlins 2. <laughs> That's, well, it's what Gremlins 2 could have been. This mom. Yeah. And by the way, I see a flaw with your uh, theory there, Adam. I don't think I even would have liked Furiosa if she was played by Kathy Griffin. <laughs> no, I would have. I would have. You can't insert Kathy Griffin's personality into it. Just Kathy Griffin doing exactly what the what the actress did in the role. Would you still like that character? Wearing that I would Amazon like Furiosa. With a shaved head. Yeah, I yeah, suppose. I would like it. Perfect. Great. Awesome. And How it doesn't have to be Kathy Griffin. Just, up in this podcast? Listen, <laughs> Kathy Griffin's enough. my own thing. I'm saying to each of you, find your own Kathy Griffin. Insert your own person into those situations. It doesn't have to be Kathy Griffin. Really quickly, before we wrap it up, I have to say one thing. I feel it's weird that we never mentioned this. That Kingston Falls, it, the the town that Gremlins is set in is the exact same set as, as Back to the Future. And I feel like it's weird that we never have mentioned this. But it's no more apparent than like, we're talking about this the, the theater scene. And as Billy and kate are running away from the theater they're running down the same street in the exact same position as the delorean hit 88 miles an hour no, in 1955 and it breaks your brain to see this like like you see you you see kingston falls and you think okay where's the delorean right <laughs> like that oh. is so weird i don't notice that and even now that you've mentioned that i thought to myself kingston falls feels really like pittsburgh area whereas you know hill valley obviously california they don't feel the same even though they're the exact same it was all that filmed on the Street. universal studios back lot yeah, yeah and it was it was built for it was built for something i don't know i don't remember what it was built for it's built for a different different movie but they both of those filmed in the exact same area, and that wow. Main Street is the same Main Street, Even and it, no that. more, more nowhere more apparent than in that movie theater. Yeah, huh. the uh, weird, interesting you enough. Broke my brain. Thanks. The, one yeah, thing I didn't include for. in the history section that I did know is that uh, the Kingsford Falls name. Um, basically, the reason they went with a name that was something Falls was the acknowledgement of "It's a Wonderful Life." It's called. The Bedford town Falls. Bedford Falls. Bedford yeah. Falls. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. I always every time I, met, I I was glad I didn't call it Bedford Falls because that's the first thing I think of when I ever try to name this right. town. And of course, they show it's a wonderful life on TV during this movie. So. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about the ending. Stripes, big fight. Hell, I think this deserves its own elevator pitch, almost. Well. I who, guess. Was, who was still paying attention at this part of the movie? So this is the fourth. This is the fourth movie that's in this movie, right? Yeah. I said there was four movies here. There's the first one, which was the one that was supposed to be the the the, the uh, it's a wonderful life movie, and the second one is the horror movie, like the alien movie that we had when when mom was chasing gremlins around. The third one is the Looney Tunes movie that we watched for the majority of, of the goofiness of this movie. And at the end, it just kind of steps back into that kind of horror vibe, but it, it does it with kind of a self-awareness of it's, 
it's now merged the, that horror with the Looney Tunes to, and, and it's really kind of off-putting in a way. Like yeah, it, they fight in a department store. A Montgomery yeah. Ward, to be specific. Ooh. There's a reference that the, all you kids uh, no, no. born in the late 90s won't get. They went out of business about 20 years ago. Yeah, I thought it was weird. It's like they pop into a candy store and it's like, oh, hey, by the way, we've got saw blades here. They've got everything at Montgomery Ward, or they did. So, yeah, it, it, we go back into the horror scene, but there's a lot more comical things in it. And we've got uh, Gizmo stepping back up to sort of uh, try to, I don't know, do something with a... Uh, with a little Barbie Corvette that's motorized. Um, I never, I didn't quite understand that. Basically, you know, Stripe and Billy are sort of going at it and, and fighting, and then Gizmo's like driving around, and I don't. It doesn't even seem like he's going to try to save the day until he accidentally saves the day. You know, like stumbling back asswards into it. It did. It did feel weird. I mean, it's all. It all goes back to like when he was in Billy's room and he's watching the like the old movies and he's watching the racing. Like there's a, there's a racing scene where he's watching some guy drive a, like a car. I don't even know what movie that was. It was that he was watching at the time because he was watching a lot of old movies and then kind of taking his like like taking his personality from that. But like for a moment there, like and it kind of does the voiceover from it. And it kind of gives you the feel of that old movie and it's just Gizmo driving this little Barbie car. But yeah, it, it definitely feels like he just lucked upon happening to be in the right place at the right time. He's like, oh hey. There's some skylights. I could probably open up and get some light in here. I hope this guy walks into this room sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing the fountain was built right here. And he totally got wet in that fountain. Yeah, and he was bubbling up and trying to create more gremlins so that way, you know. Yeah. Didn't work out for him, though. No, I, I thought the end, the uh, Stripe's death was particularly grotesque. Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, that was one of those things that, like I mentioned, there's a handful of things I remember from being a kid and watching this movie, and that was it. What, like, I remember Stripe's skin sloughing off and his bones writhing as, like, his, like his flesh just, like, like it, it, it reminds you of, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark when... Yeah. Yeah, he melts like a Nazi looking at the Ark. Yeah, and his face melts off. But then it's like it's even worse because then he like does the the classic horror villain trope of like jumping out after already having died and like his skeleton jumps out at Billy at the last minute and is like crawling across the floor and then his skeleton starts to melt and the bones melt into a pile of goo and it's just that I remember. That I remember vividly from a kid, from being a kid. I think it sticks so much in your memory just because, uh, you know, of the of the things that you can see when you're a small child, it's jaw-dropping. Like, you're not going to see anything like that in real life. And this movie is supposed to be rated PG-13. <laughs> you know, not to mention mom and dad took damn. me here because... Yeah, they say damn and asshole quite a lot in this PG movie. They really do. There's a lot of damn assholes, though. A lot of damn assholes, that's true. But, you know, all's well that ends well, and... Then at the end of the movie, uh, Mr. Wing comes back, repossesses Gizmo, does not give the struggling family their $200 back. And I thought of, that was a little mean, but yes. Yeah, I, I was like, come on. Come on, but At least dude. he didn't come back and just, like, lip him the finger. You yeah, know? that's right. Like, <laughs> deal with this. Yeah. No, and then, of course, the dad, who's been the narrator for the first and last parts of the movie, reminds you that if there's ever a weird noise in your house or perhaps the power fluctuates, you've probably got a demon infestation in your home. Should get that looked at. That the the ending narration was absolutely unnecessary and well, just like many stupid parts of this movie. Stupid. All right, so are we ready to uh, go to our decision then? Yeah. All right, let's do that. 
And now we've come to the part of the podcast that you've all been waiting for. The time where we decide if the movie Gremlins is sacred. Bovinus Sanctorum. Or if the movie Gremlins should be put out to pasture. Bovinus Excommunicado. We're taking this out on the contract. Well, you do it so well. All right, thank you. Saves my voice. <laughs> Adam, as our guest, you have the right to go first if you so desire. I want to, I don't want, I'm going to pass. Oh. All right, Peter, Piper, rock, scissors for it. Now let's do it. This is a good, uh, for an audio only medium. Yep. They're just ah. slapping themselves in the rear end. You guys can't see this at home, but I'm witnessing two men point. pull their pants down and slap themselves on the ass, which is, I don't know how you play rock, paper, scissors, but it is not the conventional means. And it would get you kicked out of various uh, professional tournaments. All right. Well, I can neither confirm nor deny, but I can tell you that I won. So I am going to have Mike go first. Uh, You shouldn't have thrown paper when he had that big rock. You know what I mean? (laughs) Good night, everybody. All right. So the movie Gremlins. I honestly have been turning over what I'm going to decide up until this very moment. But... I think right now, yeah, I'm going to say, I don't think it's sacred. It was not an unenjoyable watch, but it was also not a necessary watch, unless you're, I don't know, of the generation that grew up with it and and, and want to know. The the fact that it's basically four different movies, the fact that a lot of the first parts don't matter, uh, the fact that a lot of jokes fall flat, there's still some good ones, and there's still some good references if you get it. But it just didn't seem quite all to click for me, except the section with the mom, you know, dispatching the gremlins and things like that. That's kind of the best part of it for me. So I'm saying not sacred. Who's next? Adam, are you still passing? Yes, I will, I will hold till the end. All right. Well, Mike, I also thought that that mom action was pretty awesome. Uh, the rest of the <laughs> movie, on the other hand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say this. I might have said, is this movie over yet a few times while watching it? I didn't like it. I didn't have any nostalgia for the movie, and that definitely didn't do me any favors as I went through this walkthrough. It just seemed like they were insulting us with what little plot development outside of the whole Gremlins thing that they had. Uh, It... It, it, I don't know, the hijinks in the bar and that kind of thing. I just didn't like it. The mom thing was the best part. So I'm going to say not sacred pretty solidly. And I'm surprised. I mean, Mike, I'm glad to hear that you agree with me on this one, at least with the not sacred part, because this movie got great critical reviews. And from still the, does. From the time that it came out now into the present, it's like, Wow, and 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 I could have forgiven the movie for being bad if it was a low-budget B film, but this has this is a Columbus Spielberg Dante bit. <laughs> they this is a collaboration of the biggest names in movies uh, at the time. So I, I it is widely considered a B movie to be fair, but yeah, it's also widely considered the best movie of 1984 or one of the best movies of 1984. Ghostbusters aside, of course. 84 um, was a pretty big year for movies, so I wouldn't jump on that. Too yeah. Quickly. Well, that's what I read, and I'm like, uh, you're kidding me right now, right? So I don't know what was in the water in 1984, but I'm calling this movie not sacred. All right, let me let me explain a few things. <laughs> There's a lot that needs to be absorbed from this. Like, 
there were moments in this movie where I was like transported back to a very different time in my life. Like we, we've not talked at all about Jerry Goldsmith and the the score for this movie. Like when the Gremlins theme kind of started playing, and oh, that and, was good. And, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh god, this is a song. Like I don't even remember knowing, but it's like it, it is like in my head. Like and and it's just so creepy and eerie and. You know, Jerry Goldsmith, if you don't know who he is, like one of, I, I'd probably say one of the top five composers as far as like, uh, as motion picture co- composers goes. I mean, he did the Star Trek thing, for God's sake. He's one of the biggest names. I mean, you're talking John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman, and, and Jerry Goldsmith is right there with them, right? That kind of stuff, it like adds so many touches to the movie. And um, like so much was built off of what Gremlins did. It's the damning thing these days where it's like, you know, so much of what you see in it, it, it feels cliche or it feels overused. Mm. And it's because it became cliche because Gremlins did it. It's because yeah, Critters it, it, was built off of it. So many, many, many movies became this like, Hey, we're going to get overrun by a bunch of, a bunch of little creatures. And it was, it was following the gremlins formula like there was critters and there was like munchkins and there was like all these like like munchies munchies that was what it was i've got like all these little all these movies built around this same kind of concept gremlins 2 no anyway (laughs) (laughs) and and, you know what say what you want about how well it holds up like from a visual standpoint but i think the practical effects in this movie are astounding from the time it was made like they were they were doing this all animatronically like there's and and thankfully so like like it holds up i feel so far better than like if you look at something like like the prequel movies for star wars that came out you know decades later and like the progress that we've seen in cgi since then like those movies look so like so fake because the 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 gulf there for for the uncanny value valley is just so much different like it looks close enough to make it really noticeable it's not real whereas with gremlins it, it looks like these things are 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 little creepy muppets but there's something even more creepy about that right and so like for all of that like it like it, it was it was a really eye-opening uh, and awakening experience. So, like, to, to rewatch this and, and like have so much respect for for what was achieved through it. Uh, but for all of that, uh, yeah, I, I still don't think it's probably a necessary watch. I think it's something that was very fundamentally uh, important in, in in developing a genre of of like of this kind of dark comedy or or these like critter-based films that. You know, if you're interested in that and you like that kind of a movie, like you can't you can't not watch this or you you probably watched it 20 times already. But if that's not like your cup of tea, then there's nothing here that's that's going to change your mind on it. Right. It's like it, it is four movies and it is weirdly slow in the parts that are the most maniacal. It's self-absorbed in moments when it shouldn't be like that long diatribes like the monologue that phoebe cates gives about her dad and the yeah. fact that like it fell flat for all of us for this like the same reasons as like you're just sitting there like not buying it and like it, it, it like well, they it, gave it just enough screen time for it to be a waste of time but not enough for us to care about it right and i mean i get it i get why it's there and i get why it was it was like yeah that was that was a that was a scene that had to get fought to stay in the movie because it was kind of really over the edge of dark for that movie but that was from joe dante's opinion like the that was the that that's the movie that monologue 
is this movie. It's it's hilarious to think about, like from a from a from a situational standpoint, this idea of a dude going up and getting on his roof and trying to climb down his his own chimney and be Santa Claus and like getting his neck broken. That's like like macabre and dark and humorous, but it's also really hokey. And that's where this movie comes from. It comes from a, from this place of, of corniness, of hokiness. That is, I think, okay at Christmas time. Like we're all involved in that 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 idea where corniness and, and hokiness is is good and it's okay and it's refreshing. And it, I think again doesn't work outside of that experience of, of of being a Christmas movie. So treat it as a Christmas movie. It's saying it's it's a sacred. It's a sacred Christmas movie, but treat it outside of that just as a movie in and of itself. No, I think you can oh, probably ignore it. You can't it. do that. You can't do that. What is it, Adam? Sacred or not sacred? <laughs> sacred or not sacred? I'm gonna put I'm gonna put reindeer antlers on it and call it sacred, and then take the reindeer antlers off and say, Nah, not sacred. Okay. <laughs> well, what the hell do we do with that? <laughs> well, I think. Uh, well, it is, it is a simple so democracy. Let's put the reindeer antlers on. No, no. I mean, it is a democracy, so my word doesn't matter anymore. But yeah, I would. <laughs> I would say if you're you, if you're going for you an almost overall moved me though. <laughs> I was saying if you're going from an no, overall no. feel, uh, three hundred and sixty four and a quarter days out of the year, no, it's not sacred. <laughs> well, it sounds like simple math to me. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we got ninety nine point eight percent agreement. Uh, so that would be not sacred. I think that's a big bovinus excommunicado. Yeah. <laughs> And that concludes our review of Gremlins, the movie, the game, the show. The lifestyle. <laughs> if Gremlins is your lifestyle, I think you have a problem. <laughs> Anybody else have anything else to say regarding this before we move on to the usual chit-chat and promotion? Oh, you mean we can't chit-chat now? Ah, let's chit-chat. Oh, okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, we'd like to tell you where uh, you can find us and our guests so adam where can they get a hold of you uh, i prefer random people didn't get a hold of me from the internet but if you feel the uncontrollable urge after listening to me for maybe an hour and a half or so and you say gosh that guy is so charming i wish i knew more of him you can find me on twitter at the adam bash there are other adam bashes running around but what you the one you want is the adam bash that would be me on Twitter. Uh, or you can check out my other various podcasts. You can check out Sayer at IamSayer.com if you like robots on the uh, internet and space and uh, robots, that kind of stuff. And uh, you can check out Fistful of Pixels at, I believe, FistfulofPixels.net, but I'm not sure. You can Both my shows are on Geekly Inc. Network, so if you go to GeeklyInc.com and check out the podcasts there find both of them they're exciting they're wonderful they're better than than me i don't know how but they are somehow strangely well very good it's we, a mystery we've had a we've had a couple geekly people on before i think uh we have yeah sounds like a great network of great people All we right. named it strictly so that people would stumble over the name interesting that is so savvy geekly inc is the most is the most difficult thing to say especially if you've had a few beers geekly inc is very difficult and so when you try to try to say something like geekly people it just doesn't come out right you know what i mean geek folk geek folk that's just off the top geeklings 
<laughs> All right. Well, I think we're we're done talking about them geek folk down there. Uh, <laughs> let Let's get ourselves uh, into our contact info so Adam can sit there uncomfortably while we talk about ourselves. So uh, you can get find us on Twitter and send us a little message on uh, at Sacred Cows Pod. That's at Sacred Cows Pod, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and we will see it if you tweet it. Contact us via our email address, which is sacredcows at herooftheweb.com. That's sacredcows at heroofthewebcom where you can talk about all of the funny motions that Adam Bash is making that you can't see on an audio podcast medium. Too bad we're not recording this, folks. This is golden stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just sitting here uncomfortably. While you two talk about yourselves, <laughs> and finally, as you can, instructed, you can find me on <laughs> on Twitter. I'm at White Morph, and I can't look at Adam on the screen, but uh, I would be happy to tell you all the silly shit he's doing. <laughs> and and uh, Pete, how can they talk to you? Uh, you know what? I'll just uh, I'll just monitor. You know the internet. Uh, I think they need to flash up the Pete signal. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all the ways you can get in touch with us. And uh, now that Adam is done playing with his ukulele, it was a mandolin. I have no idea. That is a mandolin, but I don't know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Uh, Pete has one over there. I saw the man, the imaginary mandolin, and Mike saw imaginary ukulele. So. I'm so stupid. Just kidding. It was real. <laughs> I swear it was real. All right, and uh, Adam, we want to know: uh, Will you come back for some more episodes in the future? Yeah. Give me, a, give me a movie oh, wow. and a time, and I will do that thing. Usually oh. we have to fight them or beg. Yeah. Or both. Or give money. Beg fight. Oh, shouldn't sh- sh- um, Wait, okay, so wait. We have money? I assume the deal was the same. I assume it was for the same, like, fee. Like, the appearance fee was going to uh, not change. Oh, yeah, about that. <laughs> um, well, Pete made Disembodied Voice Guy come out, so we might have to renegotiate yeah. that. A little more contract problems. Plus, all our checks have been bouncing. <sighs> Listen, is the craft services table still going to be here, and will there be a Build Your Own Nachos bar? Because as long as there's the Build Your Own Nachos bar, I'm pretty much going to be in for anything you guys say. I think we can do that. Can't promise anything, but there will be plenty of green M&Ms. <laughs> okay. It's my least favorite M&M. You I'll do it. it all we got all right well thanks everybody bye so long bye i'll have a blue christmas without you i'll be so blue just thinking about you You'll be alright with your Christmas of white, but I'll have a blue, blue Christmas. Alright.